This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. Welcome to Overdue. It's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name, as always, is Andrew. You didn't change it this week, huh? You thought about it. Yeah, just it's just good to create a sense of continuity for people so they don't get scared. Let them know that some times. things, yes, <laughs> you know, some things will stay the same, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we got a different Super Bowl champion this this week. Things it's are not different. The Bing- it's not the Bengals, though. It's not the Bengals. It's it's not it's like the it, Bengals. They're never going to get another shot. Like no. they're, they're never. The society will collapse and the Super Bowl will cease to exist before the Bengals get another chance to go to the Super Bowl. So, you know, like, as someone who's from Ohio, yeah. doesn't particularly care about uh, the Bengals. The American football when the eagles aren't involved mm-hmm. you know i do i do feel for them as ohioans you know yes well you know good for matt stafford he had a long hard career in detroit and there was a stat we're going to talk about books i promise but uh there was a stat that they shared early in the broadcast about how matt stafford had led the league at one point in interceptions mm-hmm. and the bengals quarterback joe burrows had led the league in being sacked and it was just like <laughs> here are two guys who are at the top of, they deserve this yeah. You know, mm-hmm. um, and it was a game that happened and now it's over and now it's time to record a podcast. That's the story. Yeah. yeah I mean, it's not every year you get a finally get a Super Bowl without Tom Brady there. So, yeah, it's weird. I did. It it's felt weird. Break. Yeah. <laughs> what do we do on this year podcast, Andrew? Uh, we talk about sports and then after that, we talk about books. Every week, one of us reads a book that we've never read before and tells the other person about it. Sometimes we bend and break those rules, but them's usually the rules. Craig read the book for this week. Craig, what did you read? Roll of Thunder, comma, Hear My Cry by Mildred D. Taylor. Roll of Thunder, Hear My Cry. And this is another in our long uh, ongoing miniseries about uh, books that a lot of people read in eighth grade. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You and I were talking about this. This one... I don't think either of us read this in school, and I don't know no, why. Yeah, I am. I am realizing that my curriculum in in middle school and high school, for whether it was intentional or not, did not include stuff like To Kill a Mockingbird or Roll mm. Thunder, Hear My Cry, or Diary of Anne Frank, or Mouse, or any of it. Huh? <laughs> uh, just a coincidence, I'm sure. Yeah. Not. A, yeah. Probably. We learned about the Great Gatsby, though. We learned about the Jazz Age. <laughs> And the American dream. Mm-hmm. Um, so my American dream is that we're going to have a fun conversation today uh, where I tell you about this book I read and then people who have read it before can go, good job, Craig. And people who haven't... You can, did it. And mm-hmm. people who haven't can go, huh, neat book. Because mm-hmm. um, that's that was my reaction to this book. Huh, pretty neat good book. book. Yeah. <laughs> like, it It does what it sets out to do. I think it was placed in curricula where it was placed for a good reason. And we're going to talk about what happens in it. What do you know about the author, Andrew? About Mildred D. Taylor, you say? That's what I say. Uh, I know she was born in 1943 in Mississippi. Yeah. She's an American author. She spent (laughs) a couple of years in the Peace Corps. Mm -hmm. And she helped create a black studies program at the University of Colorado where she also earned her master's degree in journalism. Yeah. She currently lives in Colorado. Um, she has written among, you know, the, there's Roll of Thunder Here, My Cry, which came out in 1976, won a Newbery Medal. Um, most of her body of work is in this uh, Logan series, which is the uh, Roll of Thunder is one of them, uh, covering the same family of the same black family, the Logan family, through like many generations and many books. Yeah. Um, I know that I had pulled up like a loose chronology of the 
okay. of the Logan series. So in terms of publication order, um, Roll of Thunder is technically the second one because uh, the debut uh, Song of the Trees came out in 1975. So the first Logan novel. Um, but in chronological order, it's toward the middle. Uh, there was a book in 95 called The Well and a book in 2001 called uh, The Land that came, that are prequels to this. Um, and then the most recent book, I believe, came out in 2020. Whoa. Uh, which was 19 years after the previous book. Uh, all the days past, all the days to come. Wow. So still, do, still doing this Logan series. Not really any... You know, some of them are novellas, some of them are novels. There's one that I think is more explicitly like autobiographical mm. and not and not like technically part of the Logan series, but it's sort of read into that cycle anyway. Sure, sure. Um, and yeah, so that's her. That is her main claim to fame, main body of work, main thing that she's done. <laughs> yeah, that's which the- is fine. It sounds like I'm being disparaging, but I'm really not. <laughs> No, I, I think what I found about Song of the Trees was that, you know, she had worked a whole bunch of random jobs before becoming a, you know, an author for her career. Um, and she submitted a story for a contest run by the Council on Interracial Books for Children. Um, and that story became Song of the Trees. And then she she told the ALA because she had won. I don't yeah, know. I read this too. Was, that, was it the interview that came out around when... She got some like lifetime achievement award from them. I think so, but I, I'm mainly award. assuming they're the same interview because I have that same quote uh, highlighted from okay. it. Uh, I have one about her writing this book um, where they asked, they asked her about what she remembered writing it. She said, I was married and living in L.A. while writing that book. My mother had to have surgery, so I went home. I was writing the last chapters at that time. The intensity of those chapters made writing them very difficult. I was worrying about the book when a song came to me, which was Roll of Thunder. I had prayed over the book because it was too hard. When the song came, I ran upstairs and told my father, you've got to hear this. I sang the song for him. Everything came through in that song. Uh, I told him that day, this book is going to win the Newberry. Uh, unfortunately, he did not live to see it published. I knew it was going to be a breakthrough book. It will always be the most special book I have written. And then more generally about her writing process, she said that the books, all the Logan books, come are, are part of like an oral history. Yeah that she is retelling that was told to her by her other family members, including her father, which you just mentioned, and also some uh, uncles and aunts, I believe. Yes. Yes. Um, Um, She dedicates the book to him. um, And there's an intro where she kind of describes which characters map to different people in her family, mm -hmm. um, including the, you know, the main character Cassie is like a version of herself and her mother and stuff. And uh, I think she says her dad is basically, you know, a mix of her or not her dad. The dad in this book is like a mix of uh, her father and a few other people that she knew. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, you know, she seems like she did some good work with the series. And then like that's kind of been her life. The book was adapted into a miniseries like the year TV after. TV movie. The, Morgan Freeman was there. Yeah. And it got two daytime Emmy nominations. Pr- primetime Emmy nominations I saw. Oh, was it? I thought it was daytime. Oh, get to the bottom of it, Andrew. I want to yeah, know. Look it up and see if it was uh, daytime or primetime. Oh, no, it was primetime. Dang, you're right. Prime- She's in the big lights. She's in the primetime. Yeah. Uh, uh, and then, okay, so <laughs> one last thing. Yeah. Because this is just like a fun thing that we have to talk we about. We do, right? Now, yeah. Uh-huh. Is that in the year 2020... A good, a good, a great year. Just mm-hmm. a good year all around for everybody, I think. Uh, a series of five books, uh, including uh, Roll of Thunder, Hear My Cry, The K, To Kill a Mockingbird, uh, Huckleberry Finn, and Of Mice and Men, were all banned in a California school district. Mm-hmm. Uh, the district's statement said, uh, quote, these books are problematic in the following ways. They repeatedly use the N-word. They cast black people in negative, hopeless, and secondary roles. And all but one are written from the lens of a white author. As our teachers, administrators, students, and parents have all agreed, we need to diversify our reading list. Our current book list highlights the danger of a single story. Uh, and then a, a school administrator wrote in a statement to a student, uh, teachers have strict guidelines that forbid the use of novels that have the N-word in them. Um, 
the and and so the the books are still allowed to be in classroom libraries, but students can't in this district can't be required to read them. Yeah, uh, the stories that I read about the banning, and of course, you know, given the way that this kind of story goes, like the the fact that they were banned spawned a million stories, and then yeah. there were almost no follow ups. I had to dig a little bit more to find out like whether they were still banned and what had what had actually happened. Um. But uh, all the stories mention that three of the four parents who like started the the you know the efforts to get these banned were black. Mm-hmm. Um, specifically, you know, be- that well, I saw specifically citing incidents of like white students kids, then kids using being called, slurs. Yeah, the yeah. And we we talked about that I think when we were talking about Huck Finn too, right? It was like some of the yeah. debate around um, or Tom Sawyer probably more so even um, around using those books in the cl- books in the classroom that have this material in it and who is best equipped to teach it and how. Mm-hmm. And, and so, yeah, like I, I don't, I, I, to be totally like spineless about it. I think there, there are compelling arguments to be made on both sides, but I, <laughs> I read an interview for the Brown bookshelf that Taylor did in 2008, okay. which was, uh, it's, you know, 12 years before this banning happened, but might as well have been directly addressing the specific controversy that was caused. This is this is her thinking on it. Um, she says, in my writing, I've always attempted to tell the truth because the books are read by, by children and young adults. I sometimes have been asked to water down the telling of my stories to whitewash history, in essence, to falsify history. Um, in order for certain reprint rights to be sold, I've sometimes been requested by those wanting to reprint my work to delete all objectionable language. My publisher and I have refused to do that. There have been calls to ban my books because of the words I use and the incidents I portray. Uh, when my books were first published in the 1970s, people understood the reality of the words which were used and why they were used. They understood the honesty of the history, which was still then in the making. They understood the necessity for the truth. Recently, however, there's been a backlash of parents, minority parents included, and educators who do not want children to read books such as mine. Uh, some of the people who voice these opinions do not like the N-word being used because they believe it brings too much pain to a child reading such a word. Uh, but how can readers understand the true history of the past and the need for a civil rights movement unless they have begun to understand the pain of those who suffered through slavery, discrimination, and segregation? How can readers feel the pain if I pretty up the way things were? Uh, what I least like to do is write down words that hurt um, uh, I cringe at the thought of any child being hurt by my words, but as much as it hurts me to write the words of pain, I know that they must be written for their truthful words about the time I write. Yeah. Um, I remember what it was like. I remember the pain of what life was like, and I want others to recognize that pain in order for all generations to appreciate why there is a civil rights movement and to appreciate the great freedom of rights and opportunities we enjoy today. So I, I think that is definitely compelling. And I think I, I, agree with i i feel like i've heard a counter argument which is like black kids don't need an eighth grade language arts course to to teach hear the them. n-word yeah, like sure. they're gonna yeah like I, I so it's 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 complicated obviously um, i have a i have a uh Letter to the editor from myburbank.com from Madison Clevenger, who's a student in that school district. Yeah, I read that one, too. Um, This was written last month in 2022, in beginning of January. Um, I think in response to some of the, like, critical race theory stuff that we talked about a bit in the mouse episode. Um, It says, the history of the word, speaking specifically to this removal of of works that have the N-word in them, Um, as having a mandate, which also includes stuff like Letter from Birmingham Jail. Uh, The history of the word itself taps into a history essential to understanding the African-American experience. If we are, as a district, to negate and police that word, we will only be nurturing ideas of ignorance, a lack of empathy for the black community by sheer miscommunication. We will be censoring our own education. The LA Times reported on the conservative push in places like Texas that are directly challenging critical race theory and including reports of this book of this school district's book removal to back up the growing fight against allowing POC and LGBTQ plus experiences to be made known in classrooms. I don't see how any family can agree that the same actions are needed in districts that claim to want to alleviate black students' uncomfort with the same actions as districts that wish to remove critical race theory. Mm-hmm. Um, Clevenger makes an argument that I personally agree with. Um, yeah, like I, I think I I think I broadly fall on the side of that argument on the one that uh, Taylor herself makes. Yeah. Now, do I 
necessarily always think that kids like eighth graders who are like just learning how to swear and push back and rebel and stuff like are are they going to always uh respond well to being taught a word that no i think you're right is there. said to be bad and are they you know are they going to weaponize those words because they think it's funny and they're you know yep kids uh, can or, suck kids can suck or and like are you know underpaid under-resourced overworked middle school teachers always going to be able to like fully contextualize these works in in ways that are going to uh, resonate with students. No, probably not. But like, doesn't feel good to ban them. No, no. I I, I do think like teaching the unvarnished history is important. Yeah. Okay. But I'm just like one white guy idiot on a podcast. So like I can only speak for myself. Yeah. Um well, as a fellow white guy idiot, I suggest we take a break mm-hmm. and we'll come back and I'll just tell you what's in the book. Okay. Craig, you know what is bad? What? paying money for stuff that you are not using i tried not to do that but i've found some situations where i'm doing it without knowing <laughs> well if that situation is the situation that you are in and it sounds like it is because you just told me about it yep <laughs> you're going to like the folks over at Truebill. they're a sponsor of our show this week Truebill is the new app that helps you identify and stop paying for subscriptions you don't need want or simply forgot about on average people save up to 720 dollars a year with Truebill. Uh, And because companies make subscriptions hard to cancel, Truebill makes it incredibly simple. Just link your accounts and Truebill will cancel your unwanted subscriptions in one tap. So subscribe to nine different TV services, but only want to actually pay for them when the show you're watching is on. Try Truebill. (laughs) I (laughs) will help you do that. Yes, I have found myself in that exact situation. (laughs) Yep. And uh, your Truebill concierge is there when you need them to cancel unwanted subscriptions. So you don't have to. Uh, don't fall for subscription scams. Start canceling today at Truebill.com slash overdue. Go right now. Truebill.com slash overdue. It could save you thousands a year. Truebill.com slash overdue. Andrew, we are also brought to our listeners this week by The Last Voice. Mm-hmm. It's an immersive audio drama series exploring what it means to survive the end of the world, only to be met with the horrors of isolation. Gabriel Blythe. Yikes. Yeah, yikes indeed. Gabriel Blythe survived the end of the world, uh, and it seems like he was the only one. Now he is trying to reach out to any other survivors, inspiring hope and explaining the strange world he has found himself living in. Or maybe he's just talking to himself, clinging to his last threads of sanity in the only ways he knows. The Last Voice does not contain any credits or ad breaks so that the audience can engage with this immersive experience as the artist intends. Self-contained, uninterrupted storytelling in episodes that range from 2 to 20 minutes. Yeah, it feels like you are listening to an audio log. And like someone has created this and you found it. It made its way onto your phone. (laughs) And now you're like in his story. Mm-hmm. Uh, season one is complete and it is the perfect time to binge it all before the season two release in the autumn of 2022 uh, the last voice is available wherever you get your podcasts or at www.lastvoicepod.com craig hear my cry i want you to tell me about this book <laughs> okay don't cry <laughs> i'll tell you it's set in mississippi in 1933 Okay, uh, so we're deep into Jim Crow at this point, yes? Deep into Jim Crow, we're in the recession, we're in the recession, we're like in the depression, excuse mm-hmm. me. Um, the the Logan family, who we've talked about, um, they are living in this rural area of Mississippi. There are four kids, Cassie, who is our like POV character, she's nine, Stacy, her older brother, who is 12, Christopher John, who is seven, and Little Man, who is six. And I think Little Man has other names that people only (laughs) use when they're mad at him. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm going to call him Little Man because that's what he prefers to be called. Okay. Um, They've got uh, their mom. They've got their dad, who's not around super often because he works on the railroad. And he only comes... All the live long day? All the live long day and most of the year, it seems like. Okay, (laughs) great. It has some big, like, you know, like, oh, Papa's home kind of energy whenever he actually shows up. Dad's home. Um, There's Big Ma, who is their grandmother. 
uh, oh, I forgot to mention, mom is one of the teachers in their school. I think she's a seventh or eighth grade teacher. Uh, mm-hmm. And then later on, we meet uh, the dad's brother, Uncle Hammer. <laughs> Hammer Logan, the man's name is. I love That's it. That's a good name. A I mean, I'm not name. even going to ask if it's his Christian name because I think I'm just going to assume that it is. I think it might be. Um, mm-hmm. And he lives in Chicago. He like always shows up wearing a fancy suit. Later in the book, he rolls in with a fancy car. Uh, he has... Like does not he's not a day laborer he's not a sharecropper mm-hmm. um, it's not ever really made explicit what he does and is he like f- from the south and moved up north yeah. to find success is that his yes, arc sort yes. of to the extent that we know about it okay and so the couple times that he shows up in the book he he's not super antagonistic to the family he's very like you know he has a good relationship with his brother but he is. Uh, more hot-tempered than the other characters, and he has less patience for putting up with the, you know, miasma of racism and Jim Crow that they are living in. Well, Um, I'm I'm sure there's, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, if I'm just like reading subtext or this is something that the character is, is putting out there, but I imagine there's some element of like, I escaped this. Why haven't you to it? A little bit, except for the fact that they are all invested in owning and preserving family owning of this land that they have. Sure. Mm -hmm. So I think you're right. I think if the family did not own their own, you know, 200 acres or whatever it is, he might be advocating a bit strong, more strongly for them to leave. Um, And I think there's like whiffs of that. and, And maybe in some other books that happens, I don't know. Um, but because he owns part, he has like part of the deed and he ends up helping them financially later in the book. Um, and the stakes of their land are, are super high. So this guy, Harlan Granger, who is a descendant of the plantation owner back from before the civil war of this whole region, he owns almost all the land in this area. And the Logan family is like the only family that owns anything else. Mm-hmm. and every other black family in the area are sharecropping so they are not actually they're just like kind of renting for lack of a better word company land right mm-hmm. from the guy who they are not enslaved but they are beholden to him um for earning a wage at all yeah yeah and this is like this goes all the way back to like just after the civil yeah. war yeah. where um a lot of recently freed or like refugees uh, were, you know, coming were, were had just been freed from servitude and they were, many of them were given like 40 acres to call yep. their own. And then here in comes this super cool dude, Andrew Johnson, <laughs> former what slave owner, a president says, it signs this bill that says, okay, all this federal land that was given to freed slaves now reverts to whoever owned it before. Mm-hmm. And the uh, effect of this is, is what gives rise to sharecropping. It's people uh, working land that is owned by somebody else in exchange for giving that person uh, some share of the profit from the crop that they, yep. had, they had raised. Yep. And so some people were able to, you know, break free and, and get their own land under this system. But far more often, I think it was used to um, just sort of as indentured servitude, yeah. you know, you would yeah. just end up owing this person more than you could ever pay back. The One of the and, particular yeah. ways that it manifests in this book is like, Later on, when Granger is really trying to put the screws to uh, both the Logan family specifically and their neighbors, um, after all of the cotton is like planted for the season, then he ups the percentage that he's going to take from people's shares, which is like that's immoral business practice in in like (laughs) agriculture because like what you plant it, and obviously that can happen in agriculture, I'm sure, but like in Within a crappy system like sharecropping, it is particularly crappy because you pl- you plant what you can expecting a certain return, and then the person that you have this share arrangement with says, no, I'm just going to take more when it comes in, and you mm-hmm. are past the point where you could attempt to plant more to make up for the, for the loss 
uh, of what you would earn. Right. Um, any story where you have, you know, disputes over property ownership um, will feel familiar here in terms of the ways that Granger tries to pressure the Logan family. And at the beginning of the book, it's like he just comes up and pesters them to get the land. And he's not mm-hmm. like threatening them. He doesn't have anything specifically that he wants to threaten them with he just really wants to convince them to sell and he's just going to try and wear them down mm-hmm. and the goal of the family is kind of like to instill this value in each generation that like we are never going to lose this land like yeah. this is the land that our ancestors you know they met each other on they grew crops on this land even when they were enslaved like this is their soil and the fact that we own it is important um yeah. And so that is like this ongoing question of the book, even though it kind of gets it gets pushed into the back for like the first half um, of like, well, what's going to happen? Will there will a situation arise where they're going to have to sell or something like that? Um, So the Logan family, we actually meet them through the kids. As I said, Cassie is the POV character and we meet them going to school. Uh, They have to walk an hour to school uh because there's no bus and it is like a you know a state or county school uh but it is obviously way worse than the school that all the white kids go to yeah it would be segregated yeah it's incredibly underfunded and a fun thing about their walk to school every day uh is that the bus driver sucks and like tries to run these kids off the road for his amusement like every day and cool. for the for the enjoyment of the kids on the bus. Right. And like sometimes it's like run them off the road, sometimes it's like splash them with mud. It sucks and it mm-hmm. and they all hate it. Mm-hmm. Uh so much so that later in the book during a prolonged rainstorm, they enact revenge on this bus and like lay a trap in the road by digging a big trench and filling it with rainwater. Oh. And the bus falls in and breaks. <laughs> and all the kids on the bus have to walk home through the rain. And they're mm-hmm. not going to have a bus for like a month. Mm-hmm. I thought that was pretty cool. That's pretty good. Yeah. When you said that they exacted revenge on the bus, I thought that maybe they were misdirecting there. They should have they done something to the driver instead of to the actual physical bus. But no, it sounds like it got the driver pretty good too. It, yeah, it did. Yeah, okay. It did. I feel better about that. <laughs> um. And we meet them like going to school is how the book opens, as I said. And we get this plot line that is like the inciting incident for the book where uh, I believe the, you know, the students are separated by grade level. Little man and Cassie go into like one part of school together as first and fourth graders for whatever reason. I think a teacher's absent. And they're like, oh, look, we got books. We got like reader books for the first time this year ever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're, they've been given to us by the county school board. Great. And all the books are in terrible shape. They're clearly, you know, 10 or 15 years old. They've been used by other kids. They're all dirty. They're all, you know, whatever. But that they have them at all is, is, is something. Still, yeah. And little man immediately reacts negatively to his book. And on like the front cover or whatever, there is a like list of all of the students and years in which they've had it before. And mm-hmm. there's a column for the race of the student. And it, and it uses a variation on the N-word in the column for the most recent year. Cool. And so Little Man and Cassie get upset and don't want their books anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and their teacher, who is black she's you know doing her best is like kind of upset because it's disrupting her classroom yeah and they take it to her to their mom who's also teaching in the next in the building next door and she's very understanding about her kids being upset Mm -hmm. and she decides that she is going to glue a piece of paper inside the cover of every book that she is handing out and just like remove this as a thing and i was like sure and i was like okay so Mm -hmm. what i learned in that opening story is like what some of the characters do and don't know about the world that they're in because they are young kids. I learn about how the mom feels about this situation. 
And what I didn't expect was like this was going to be a thing that came back. Like this book is it's not tightly plotted like a thriller or a mystery, but uh-huh. it, it has things that pay off, like get introduced that I thought were going to be like slice of life stories or like, you know, in the, in it's, the you're it's less like directly chronological one thing follows the other the whole story like kind of happens in order like to kill a mockingbird is and it's more just like i don't know you get a bunch of loosely related incidents that happen throughout like a school year or some other period of time and and some stuff comes back later and some stuff doesn't this is more stuff comes back than not okay and it is it does take place over the course of a school year and change um, but I was not expecting the like the little props and the little beats from earlier kind of like what I thought were character sketch scenes kind of coming back and informing another moment. And that just is structurally, yeah, I was thinking just the vibes of the first two chapters in particular in how it set up characters and set up place. I was getting to kill a mockingbird energy from it, partially I think from the time period um, mm-hmm. and the introduction to school felt kind of similar. Mm-hmm. Cassie also has the like, I'm a, I'm a little, I'm a girl who doesn't like, you know, I am in a house full of boys and, you know, I speak my mind and, um, and I'm sometimes I'm a little stinker. Sometimes I'm a little stinker. Sometimes, <laughs> um, <laughs> And so I was like, okay, I'm I'm getting some just vibes from another book I read uh, at the time in my life when I probably should have also read this book in school, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so the the other character that I want to introduce that kind of tracks this, like every little thing pays off energy, is this guy TJ, TJ Avery. He is a, a friend of the older brother Stacy for some reason. And he stinks, man. <laughs> TJ, like, he's always talking. You know that person in your life that's always talking? It's not me, Andrew. Don't say me. Uh, well, then I know I don't know. Stop it. You know those people, <laughs> like, multiple times in this book, people are like, man, I really don't want, like, TJ's just going to talk the whole time, isn't he? No, I mean, I, I yes, I, I know what you're talking about. He also, <laughs> not from you, from other people. Yeah, no. Uh, when we meet him at one in one chapter, uh, we are introduced to the idea that he's always like getting out of work and chores. And here's his little speech about that. See, fellows, there's a system to getting out of work. Just don't be around when it's got to be done. <laughs> Only thing is, you can't let your folks know what you're doing. See, you should be like me, like this morning when Mama wanted to bring back some scissors she borrowed uh, from Ms. Logan. I volunteered so she doesn't have to make this long trip down here. She being so busy and all. And naturally, when I got here, y'all wanted me to stay a while and talk to y'all. So what could I do? <laughs> mm-hmm. So he just like waste quote unquote wastes the day being hospitable and congenial, mm-hmm. and then he gets home and all the chores are done. He doesn't have anything to do. Yeah, that's good. I mean. I think I think that's a good overarching theory for avoiding work. You could also do what my sister did the one time my dad ever asked her to mow the lawn, which is to cry the entire time and do a bad job. Oh no! <laughs> uh, so yeah, that was that was my that was still my job after that. Oh no! The yeah. other the other version I heard when I worked at a at a music store in high school was a guy who spent an entire Saturday carrying an empty cardboard box from the floor to the sh- to the storeroom. <laughs> As if he was That's a good one though. It's, That's some Tom Sawyer stuff. It's pretty good. Uh but I I uh, TJ stinks. Um and the reason that he stinks is like every multiple bad events that happen in this book get tied to stuff that TJ's wrapped up in mm-hmm. for reasons. So mm-hmm we get this like thing where he is constantly trying to sneak into the Logan's house to steal answers for a test. Cause he's going to fail uh, mom's class. And ultimately he gets caught, you know, you know, with written down answers that he's cheating. Mm-hmm. And then the second time he, well, the first time he does it, he runs to this store that is run by the Wallace's uh, and almost gets the kids in trouble because they're not supposed to go to that store because Andrew, the Wallace's, are uh, a bunch of racists who have recently, uh, even though they have not been held culpable by any 
uh, legal system mm-hmm. killed to black people in their community for, right. you know, looking at a white woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the black community is like, well, those guys did it. We can't say anything. And maybe we should just like boycott their store. Like we got to like find a way to extra extricate ourselves from any sort of relationship with these people. Sure. Um, punish them in any way that we can. Mm-hmm. And of course, whenever TJ gets in trouble with Stacy or, or Cassie and Stacy's mom, um, he runs to that store knowing that they won't follow him. And it's like a big thing. Uh, part of that becomes when this boycott takes off. And that's like the main plot of this book is the parents start organizing this boycott where they are helping black people in this town buy from a store like in another town over because otherwise, because a lot of them have credit wrapped up in the local store and all sorts of like, the book is actually pretty good about describing these kind of specific economic pressures that people are under. Mm -hmm. And they're like, okay, well we're going to run a convoy to another town and like help you buy somewhere else so that we can not support this store. Mm -hmm. Um, And when TJ gets caught a second time cheating, he definitely gets pissed at the Logan family and starts, uh, you know, talking about this boycott that he knows happening in front of white people. And Mm -hmm. so it starts to come back on the Logans and then Mm -hmm. other stuff that TJ does just like one by one, he is kind of, uh, driven away from what were his friends at the beginning of the book. He falls in with these two white boys who are clearly just like keeping him around to treat him bad. Right. Sure. And then they, how like, are we supposed to feel? How bad are we supposed to feel for TJ? Like, do we feel bad for everyone because they're all dealing with bad circumstances in different ways or, or like how are, how do we treat, TJ differently as readers than we do like the Logans who are more clearly uh, pr- protagonisty, you know? Yeah. So TJ helps like, for lack of a better word, teach some of the Logan kids things. Like in particular, this book has Cassie. And you already taught him a good trick for getting out of work. Well, so. that's true. Mm-hmm. Um, Cassie and Stacy are. One weird trick. <laughs> Jesus. Teachers hate him. <laughs> do actually um oh because the other thing is after he runs his mouth uh mama ends up losing her job because because of the boycott um granger brings in guys from the county board of election to like Mm. watch her teach and then she's teaching about slavery and she's teaching stuff that's not in the book and then they call her out for putting the piece of paper inside their book and they fire her on the spot jeez yeah it's awful Okay. Um, and this is like, but it's like precipitated, and that that might have happened anyway. The book is a is actually pretty good about like the kid stuff happens to the kids, and there is a connection to stuff that is going on in the adult world, and maybe there's causality between the two. But like some of the stuff just would have happened because like, yeah, but the it, white but it, people in yeah. this community are terrible. Right at the at the end of the day, it doesn't matter that there be. It doesn't matter what the pretext is because they would have found some other pretext. Exactly. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Um, TJ is the one like lesson that Stacy gets about TJ is TJ like tricks Stacy out of out of a coat. He makes fun of a coat that Hammer gave to Stacy around Christmas. It says he looks dumb in it Mm -hmm. and makes Stacy feel so bad about his coat that Stacy just gives him the coat to like get rid of it. (laughs) And then Hammer... I do want to like this guy because he's got like a cool like bad boy Bart Simpson vibe to him. Yeah, but, sometimes, he, but you know? he's alienating everyone around him. Mm. And what? And so like ultimately the lesson that Hammer tries to teach to Stacy is like you need to not seek validation in other people because this guy is sick with that need and it's going to get him into trouble. Yeah. And that is what happens is he ends up running with these two Sims boys who take advantage of him and then rob a store. Uh, But they're like, you know, they're wearing masks or like hoodie masks or something. Mm -hmm. And ultimately the only person who gets blamed for the injuries caused during that robbery is TJ. And they surprise, surprise. Yeah. Yeah. And they actually are like, 
we saw him and two other guys do it and it's mm-hmm. and he you know no one's gonna believe him yeah um so we feel bad about tj by the end of the book cassie you know at the end of the book is left i'll talk about why this is she's left crying about tj and about the land that they own at the end um and stacy is like getting character development in comparison to tj sure so it's not that he does suck but it is like it is a cost or it is a harm that the way this community exists is like doing to him yeah and like some people are allowed to suck in their youth and then come back to what you if know, he, yeah like to to have an opportunity to grow and and mature and not suck yeah yeah and he might know, not get what, that what, chance after yeah he's what caught, are, you know yeah. what are the qualities of the people who are allowed to get a chance to not suck you yep, know exactly no totally um so i've put off talking about the logan family for some reason i didn't mean to they're cool i like them <laughs> Um, okay. they're really sweet the they got adamantium bones and a healing factor yeah and fast healing wow. they have both of those I things didn't know what you were doing for a second they're not canadian though which is kind of weird mm-hmm. i don't know why they dropped that in this version of logan but mm-hmm. um they do run sometimes <laughs> <laughs> uh i like them except for the fact that in and this is not me indicting the book. This is me being like, I don't like this about these characters. Uh, there is some like, you know, household corporal punishment. There's lots of spanking and, and Whooping. like yep. switches in this book. And it does like, it's hard to square with characters that you can tell are like loving and in the context of the book have like the highest moral character um and it just it's like not fun to read and like not fun to think about a worldview where that makes sense um, i mean i just uh, at the time i don't think anyone would have thought anything of no it. i guess like, not. I, I got yeah. i got spanked sometimes i don't like, like it it was just not it's just a thing i didn't like about these people that i liked a lot of yeah no i no i understand i understand you know i just i they don't i think mean anything distasteful about it it was just and still probably is in some corners uh, just a part of child rearing that nobody really thinks about. Yeah, they they do talk about TJ like his dad not being able to control him that way or whatever. And it's like a weird beat. But they otherwise, the thing I really like about the Logans is every time one of the kids kind of gets in trouble or gets into a scrape, their impulse is to tell their parents everything about what happened. Whoa. And, it, and that's radical. It is sort of radical. Like they they're. I think at one point Stacy leaves some individual details out because he's trying to protect TJ on something, mm-hmm. but he doesn't lie about going to the Wallace store, even though he was told not to. Mm-hmm. When Cassie gets into trouble, okay, so Cassie's deal, similar to Little Man, is she's young enough that she has not really learned about racism. Like, yeah, sure. And because of segregation, she actually doesn't interact with too many white people mm-hmm. and so she she has that like sense of fairness that mostly children are allowed to have because mm-hmm. you don't learn about injustice that early for the most yeah, part sure um and so she's in a store and the guy starts filling an order for stacy and he keeps like stopping to go serve white people that come into the store and mm-hmm. she decides to say something because she's nine yeah, yeah. And it causes a whole big scene. And then this other girl, Lillian Jean, is really mean to her on the sidewalk. She's a white girl and she says, get out of my way on the sidewalk. And Cassie's like, why would I do that? And then <laughs> Lillian Jean's dad, this, and this is the Sims family again, the, the dad rolls up and like pushes her into the street and Big Ma forces her to apologize. And then like her mom basically has to teach her about white supremacy. Mm-hmm. In a real, but like in a real, you just experienced it way. Let's talk about it. And it's sure. really fascinating. Um, that's so heavy that I'm not even going to try to make a joke about a Sims family being in this book. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. It's two M's. So. Oh, okay. So if you read it, you probably wouldn't think. About I would joke. not have thought about it at all. But I, I understand why you it did. It just seems, seems like somebody needs to take better care of the Sims family. So maybe they're not so bad. 
I could see that being the case. Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe buy them some new clothes or remodel their kitchen. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> or feed their, give them a hamburger. I'm so, I'm so <laughs> delighted. Maybe they all really need to pee, by and your, that's why they're acting so bad. I'm so delighted by your commitment to levity, mm-hmm. um, and really happy to have it. Uh, I just. I don't want to. I I like the way that we program a Black History Month. I don't want the whole thing to yeah. feel like like dour homework. You no, know, I, I want it to still feel like the show and and like bring attention to the aspects of these works that that are joyful and that we really like, while also yes. talking about the difficult stuff. Let's so, talk hence, about stupid jokes about the video game The Sims. <laughs> Let's the end. talk about Cassie's revenge plot, which is again in service of like. Not a lot else in the book. It's mm-hmm. kind of weird. It's not weird. It because the book is actually, I think, about the kids learning about how the world works. Mm-hmm. So they are not the central characters in the main plot of the store boycott and the violence that befalls uh Papa Logan when he comes home, as well mm-hmm. as this guy Morrison that he brings home with him, who clearly ran into some trouble and needs a place to lie low. Mm-hmm. They get into some like really tough, awful crap. Uh, but you're probably in as the reader, you're probably insulated from that a little bit by the perspective. Yeah. Yes. Like you get when the violence happens, you hear it secondhand from Stacy, who was there. Mm-hmm. Um, the book does have a lot of like Casey listening to adults from down the hallway or Cassie listening <laughs> sure. to adults from down the hallway kind of stuff. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, That's how childhood is, though. Yeah, sometimes really um, she gets revenge on this girl. See, <laughs> Jean, by. Um, she becomes her quote unquote friend for like a month mm-hmm. and lets Lillian Jean treat her like garbage and tell her all her secrets like mean mm-hmm. girl style Ooh. and carry her books. And then after about a month of that, she meets up with her after school and she's like, Hey, I got you a surprise. It's in the woods. Follow me. Oh. And, she, and Cassie takes her into the woods and she throws Lillian's books in the mud <laughs> And Lillian's pick it up. She's like, no, I don't want to. And then they fight. And Cassie's like, you're not going to tell anyone about this because I know all of your secrets. Whoa. And then she just leaves. And then that Mm -hmm. plot's over. And it's like, I don't know what to do with it. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have a payoff later. It is Cassie as a nine-year-old handling her business um, and trying to be self-sufficient, I guess. But it is like this, I don't know, it was interesting because I could tell it was like a B-plot even though it was a, the main character of the book. That yeah. That was a weird thing. Just vibes. Vibes, you know? yeah. Um, the like climactic action at the end of the book is, you know, after Pa is injured, after Ma has lost her, lost her job, they're figuring out how they're going to pay for things. The bank, Granger forces the bank to bring their mortgage due immediately, and Hammer has to sell a bunch of stuff and help bail them out. Mm-hmm. Um, and then TJ is going to get lynched for the robbery. You mentioned earlier that, is it Granger who's trying to get the land all the time? Yeah. That he's not making explicit threats. Oh, that, that changes. Uh, yeah. I Halfway was say, through I that like mostly the, explicitly changes. Okay. I was just going to say like the, through the, through his simple presence and his like demographic information, I got to assume that the threat would be kind of implicit. Yeah. And I think maybe that is me reflecting Cassie's POV. Like as she sure. hears about it, in the first third of the book, it is, Hey, a guy shows up in his cool car every few months and like, ask them he's some just, questions. He's just asking questions. And then he leaves. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, two-thirds of the way through the book, he says directly to Paul Logan, like, if you don't stop this boycott, like, I'm going to come for you. Mm-hmm. And I'll find a way to get you. Yeah. Kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but it it bubbles over into this uh, lynch attempt. This lynch mob comes for TJ. Um and there's this white lawyer who's like he and this boy Jeremy are the only two like good white characters in the book. Um, but I kind of liked that uh, the lawyer guy is not actually like a real 
effective savior character. He's just like mm-hmm. a guy who means well and shows up, but ultimately he can't do much against this plantation, you know, share, you know, sharecropper guy. Yeah. Um, he shows up to try and stop the lynching and he can't. And while they're going to do this, the cotton fields catch fire. There's like a lightning storm. Roll mm-hmm. of thunder. Hear my cry. There is a title card in the book later when one of the characters actually <laughs> sings the spiritual. That is that is the title of the book. Sure. Um, and because of this fire, uh, Paul Logan and Granger and everybody like shift everyone's attention to putting out this fire that could easily like not only light up other fields, but light up the forest and just cause really untold damage. The fire was not caused by lightning. I was going to say, it seems awful coincidental. Yeah. Um, and the the end of the book is Cassie learning like what her father did. Um, mm-hmm. And learning what the cost of that was, because that's irreparable you know, harm to their land and mm-hmm. to their crop. And uh, it is an open question that they would keep the land for generations to come, even though they bought out the mortgage. Yeah. And then I I guess I assume that in the like seven or eight books in the Logan series after this, you do find out more about what happened after this fire, but I, but I don't know whether you did any, you know, research into that. No, I I didn't. We just kind of let this book stand on its own. I, yeah, that was my experience. I let the book stand on its own. I think the, the, it feels self-contained. It doesn't feel like it's passing a baton. Um, it ends with Cassie, like realizing what might happen to TJ, realizing what might happen to their land based on what already has happened. Mm-hmm. And like her having that emotional experience is the like biggest event in the book. Sure. Um, and I, I understand why you would not write more past that, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I liked it. I thought it was like the characters are all pretty memorable um, and complicated. Do you have any thoughts on just like the, the value of, of teaching it in a curriculum? Sure. Beyond just like it handling some of these concepts in language and from a perspective that's probably familiar to the people in the age group who are, who are reading it. The, that last bit, what you just said, I think is probably one of the most, one of my, why i would argue for it like mm-hmm, of the mm-hmm. five books that were in that burbank band this was the only one written by a black person right sure. i think mm-hmm. yeah I believe um so. and this book gave me as i alluded to earlier it did give me to kill a mockingbird vibes in terms of like similar age range for a character uh similar kids learning about how the world works with like plot points that they're butting up against and it's also teaching us about this community and yet it is actually centering black people in this story in a way that i think to kill a mockingbird doesn't and that's no a, it definitely does that's a book that my relationship has changed over time with as i have learned a bit more about what other books are doing and sure, can yeah. do mm-hmm. um so i think that's a huge part of it there's also the I don't know. I think it does a really good job with the way that they have to, or I like the collective action of it. The, that typical, you got to get political in here at the end. It's well, a political (laughs) asking questions (laughs) book podcast. Just that it is not an easy process. It is a messy process. There are uneasy alliances formed within it. There are problems that have to be solved. Like one person doesn't want to participate in the boycott or they don't feel like they can because they can't even buy things with cash anyway. They take everything out on credit throughout the year. When their harvest comes in in the fall, all of their stuff, like that debt gets paid down when they bring stuff to the market. Mm -hmm. Um, And so a big part of organizing this boycott is like, figuring out how they're going to get a line of credit for those people in the other town. Mm-hmm. Um, and while that sounds kind of like abstract and systemsy, it's actually tied to individual people. Um, I think the what happens to the characters in the Barry family, which are the people that the Wallaces, two of them killed, and one of them is, I think their uncle is still alive, and it's really mm-hmm. gruesome. Um that is a very moving passage that I think 
that is part of the like when we were talking about mouse last week is like stories it it, this is part of our history and like you kind of need to look it in the face Mm -hmm. um and it is about kids in this world who have not been taught that yet learning about it and like what Mm -hmm. it means to them um yeah and it doesn't feel parable-y which i think works in its favor can you Um, describe what you mean it uh, it doesn't feel Pollyanna-y about what comes next and what could happen, and it doesn't presume that there is like a really clear path forward. So okay. my example is when <laughs> Christmas, they have a lovely Christmas scene. It's cool. Everybody's great. They all get sweet books um, and really love each other. And there's a really cool like dinner that they have. Um, and then the the Jeremy Sims, the young white boy who's kind of the outcast from his family because he actually seems to like black folk like he's not Mm -hmm. a racist even though i guess he's like 10 and just like doesn't he doesn't have any power to act on it um he brings a flute as a gift to stacy and they accept the gift and then he leaves and he and his dad stacy have a conversation about like well what if he could be be friends with jeremy Mm -hmm. um and papa says uh white folks mean trouble you see blacks hanging around with whites. They're headed for trouble. Maybe one day whites and blacks can be real friends, but right now the country ain't built that way. Now you could be right about Jeremy making a much finer friend than TJ ever will be. The trouble is down here in Mississippi, it costs too much to find out. So I think you'd better not try. And it's just like, there are hard truths in this book that the characters believe in that feel very of, you know, feel very real and don't feel Mm -hmm. like they're coming through a historical lens. Like these characters don't know about what's going to happen in this country in the next, you know, even 30 years hence from Mm -hmm. the events of the book. Mm -hmm. Um, So I don't know. I think that's part of it that really worked for me and and could work in a classroom with the right educator. And sure. Yeah. um, So, yeah, I don't know. That's it. There you go. Good answer. Cool. Good podcast. Put it on the board. Good answer. Boom. Um, that's it. That's all I got, Andrew. Thanks for listening to me. Thanks again. for talking to me again. <laughs> I don't know what to say next. I, what do I say next? You do the end of show spiel. Oh, thing. thank you. Send yeah, us an you email. Take us out, please. Send us an email at overduepod at gmail.com. Hit us up on Twitter and Facebook at overduepod. We got some lovely comments uh, in the last week. Thanks to Nick Caroline. Yvonne, Rachel, Corin, Marcy, Ellen, uh, Jamie, Mitzi, Pat, Robert, many more. Really love to hear from all of you. We really appreciate it. Thanks to Nick Larandis, who composed our theme music. Andrew, if folks want to know more about the show, where do they go? You did a really good job with that, by the way. Thanks. For not remembering what you didn't. My brain just stopped for a second. Overduepodcast.com is our internet website. We've got up there links to the books that we have read and the ones we are going to read, as well as links you can use to subscribe to the show. Uh, if you use those links to buy books and read along with us, we get a cut. Uh, your local independent bookstore gets a sale and you get a book. Uh, we also have a Patreon project. That's patreon.com slash overduepod. Uh, put in a little money and get bonus episodes early. Get other stuff that we offer to people. A lot of a lot of fun things. Some new things coming soon in the next uh, next few weeks. Yep, keep an eye out. We're working on on the the old back end back here. What do you read next yeah. week, Andrew? Uh, I am reading Black Buck by Matteo Ascaripor. Cool. I'm excited to hear about it. Yeah. Uh, that's it. That's it. All right, everybody. Until we talk to you next week, try to be happy. Only three months ago, figured out what Limu Emu meant. Oh, Craig, you sweet summer child. I've known about Limu Emu for so long. It's so bad. Laura looked at me like she was wondering why she married me. <laughs> and I asked what like, Limu Emu was.
<laughs> like she, well, yeah, I guess she probably watches some more ad supported TV than you. So, but it is one of, it's like the, the AT&T girl or like the progressive insurance lady. It's like these ads that expect me to be steeped in the, in the lore. lore of this series of ads. Yeah. Like wants me to be invested in this character. Jesus.